I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. It's never an easy call with so many problems in the world to know where to direct the money that you donate when you want to help out in this world. But what I can tell you is that when you donate to CAMH, you're saving lives. We know about the opioid crisis. We know about the mental health crisis. They are doing the work. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help us treat addiction and build hope. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about CanadaLand and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support CanadaLand. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Whether you need a landing page, a beautiful gallery, a professional blog, or an online store, it's all included with your Squarespace website. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com. Use the offer code CanadaLand to get 10% off your first purchase. It is also brought to you by Carnivore Club, a subscription to some of the highest quality cured meat in the world. If you're ready to join the exclusive club for meat lovers, go to carnivoreclub.co. That's co, not com, C-O. Get 15% off of your first box when you use the offer code CanadaLand. Important scandals are boring. Trivial scandals are interesting. That's the basic formula. Infidelity and expense account abuse plays wide. Conflicts of interest and corruption, they're a tough sell. We measure this stuff, people. Do not argue with science. Today's episode is about a scandal that not enough people are paying attention to. It's about a decision that has massive economic and environmental consequences, whether or not to build a huge pipeline, and how the people appointed by the government to make that decision met in secret with a paid agent of an energy company who happened to also be the former premier of Quebec. The reporter who investigated and broke this scandal is Mike D'Souza, and the news site he broke it for is The National Observer, published by Linda Solomon Wood. Both of them join me in a moment. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Catherine Bullman, Stephen Lamke, David Archer, Stu Brown, Carol Linnett, Lane Pond, Kaizad Bilimoria, and Christina Coleman. Christina, why did you decide to be awesome? 
because a critical look at Canadian media is not only valuable, it's essential. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. We hear a lot about the opioid crisis. We talk a lot about the mental health crisis. These are serious problems. These problems affect us all. They've affected my life and my community. They're not intractable problems. I don't know what's going to solve them on a policy level, but day-to-day helping people, that's what CAMH does. They do it on the ground when people need help, and they do it through research. The team at CAMH gave our team a tour of their facilities, and we were really just blown away by the incredible heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity, and their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone around the world. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away, but often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is also brought to you by Squarespace. Whether you need a beautiful landing page, a gallery, a professional blog, or an online store, all of that is included with your Squarespace website. Squarespace websites are very easy to make. You just click around and add your images, add your text, and make a beautiful website following a template that was professionally designed, and it'll just work. It'll work on any screen. Your domain will be free, a custom domain for free when you sign up for a year. The commerce tools are seamless. Squarespace is always updating and always making itself compatible with the tools that people use when they sell things online. You want this stuff to just work, and on Squarespace, it does. Their support is fantastic. Their customer care team is there 24-7 to help you. All of the people who help you with problems at Squarespace are in-house, and you'll get 10% off of your first purchase if you go there now, squarespace.com, use the offer code CanadaLand. Also, this episode is brought to you by our founding sponsor, FreshBooks. FreshBooks has just launched a soup to nuts rebuild. It is simpler and easier to use than ever. If you're near a computer, go to freshbooks.com slash CanadaLand and just have a look at how easy they've made this. It is very, very helpful. I mean, the first thing you want to know is, how am I doing? How's my company doing? Are we owed more money and are we making more money than we're spending? It gives you that information. And then it gets into this next level, which is all about the relationships with the people who you are sending invoices to, who are the relationships that your business depends on. You want to know when they viewed the invoice. You want to know what comments they had. You want to know how quickly they pay. 
All of that stuff is now even closer to your fingertips with the new redesign, and it is built for the non-accountant. That is who this is for. Small business owners, freelancers, someone is thinking of you. FreshBooks is making a tool that 5 million people, more than that actually, just like you around the world, they are using this as their solution because you don't have an accounting department. You have FreshBooks. Go to freshbooks.com slash CanadaLand. And when you do become a customer after your 30-day free trial, please tell them that this podcast sent you. You will be doing Canada Land a favor. Mike, Linda, hi. 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 Mike, you've broken this huge story that has had political consequences. It has been picked up by the rest of the media. And yet, I'm going to gambit that most people are more familiar with like Jerry Butt's moving expenses or the Maria Monsef, where was she born controversy than what you discovered about Jean Charest, about the independent energy regulator. And I, I think a lot of this is because, I mean, maybe by design, this stuff all kind of sounds the same. Energy East Pipeline, National Energy Board is the body, uh, TransCanada and these energy companies, they sa- they all sound similar and blur into each other in your brain. And then mm. it blurs into each other because the people who are sitting on the regulator, most of them, if I'm not mistaken, are former energy industry people. And when you're trying to make the distinctions of whose government and whose industry, you've got Jean Charest. That is your revelation, is that Jean Charest, who people associate, well, of course, he's the former premier. He was working as an agent of one of these big energy companies. So my head's spinning. I know you've written explainers because mm-hmm. you've done like, like what, 14, 15 stories on this? More than that now, probably about 20. Okay. <laughs> yeah. As succinctly as you can, who are the people in the neighborhood of this story? Who are the players here? Yeah. So you have one of the biggest, the, the second biggest pipeliner pipeline company in Canada, TransCanada, which is a multinational company, a multi-billion dollar company that wants to get a high-profile and large pipeline approved, the largest pipeline ever proposed in Canada. Bigger than Keystone. It would be bigger than Keystone. It would be 4,500 kilometers long from Alberta all the way to New Brunswick through six different provinces, and it would ship up to a million or 1.1 million barrels of crude oil every day. Okay, so that's our, our, our corporate player, TransCanada. They want Energy East, the pipeline. Mm-hmm. To do that, they got to go through... They got to go through government or the regulator in this case. The regulator is the one that reviews the project or is supposed to review it in an independent way and then decide, is this project in the best interest of Canada and can it be built safely? That's the National Energy Board. That's right. And though there are a lot of people there who have backgrounds in industry in this capacity, they are bureaucrats who are – they are the government, right? They are they are the judge, jury, and executioner. They actually have the power of – Of a federal court. Uh, so they can make a decision that's binding. I mean, at least under the previous legislation now, uh, in terms of what the Harper government did, it, it put some of that power back into the hands of politicians. But the NEB is doing the review and providing the advice that allows the government to make its decision. Right. So there's a little a little bit of light between them and government, but not a lot. Like they, they are basically an arm's length federal court. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And as a court or a body with the powers of a court, impartiality, fairness, transparency, they are not there to, to, to make sure that, that a pipeline happens at all. So all the different stakeholders, uh, the uh, indigenous rights for the land that the pipeline has to go through, environmental concerns, they're supposed to take and industrial concerns and economic concerns. They are there to, to be the arbiter of all of these factors and come up with a recommendation. Exactly, Jesse. And, and they must... 
they must be independent. And if they're doing a public review, it has to be public. You don't see, you know, if if, if this was like a um, if this was a lawsuit, uh, like let's say it's a copyright lawsuit between two parties, you don't see the judge going into a private meeting with one of the parties and having a secret meeting. This is what happened in this case is that they had a secret or a private meeting and discussed stuff off the record about how to favor one side of this of this uh, review. They had a secret private meeting. Some people said, so what, when they found out who it was with because it was with Jean Charest. And they should be meeting with people who know as much as Jean Charest and, and with people from government, pastor or, 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 or president or why was it a problem that they met with Jean Charest. Because we knew, uh, thanks you know, thanks in part to the work of Danielle Lebon from The Globe, we knew in part that Sh- Mr. Charest was working for TransCanada uh-huh. at the time. And so he's representing the company. Is this definitive? That's, that, that sounds like that's against the rules to, to, to meet with an agent of the company. It's just not appropriate. And, and it taints the process. In this case, they claim, well, we didn't know. Um, they said, you know, he didn't disclose this when he went into the meeting, so that's why we did it. Uh, let's move on, is, is, is their explanation. So you say that might be true and it might not. Let's find out. And you file some A-tips for the notes from that meeting? Yeah. So, I mean, initially they, they denied that they had discussed the issue of Energy East at all. They said nothing inappropriate happened. And, yeah, when we got these documents back, we saw not only did they discuss the company and strategies to approve the pipeline, but one of the board members, one of the panel members who is supposed to be reviewing this pipeline actually initiated this encounter. He he sent an email that said, I want to discuss Energy East, and that is inappropriate. That goes against the code of conduct of, of, of employees or representatives of the board. Uh, based on what's in their own rules, this, this violates their own rules for a fair, transparent, impartial process. And when they're there, like, what are they talking about? Besides just they're talking about Energy East, but like some of your stuff uh, suggests that the National Energy Board was not there simply to talk with the stakeholder to make their recommendations and get as much information as They're possible. trying to figure out how to boost their credibility. It's part of a, a pretty sophisticated public relations plan that they, they were working on to try to figure out how do we tell Quebecers who we are, how do we get them to trust in fossil fuels in, in a province where, as, as you know, like is, is largely built on hydroelectricity and pipelines and oil and gas. There's, there's not a lot of oil and gas exploration in Quebec. There's no, you know, shale gas is banned in Quebec. Um, so they're trying to figure out how do we appeal to Quebecers and they're meeting with people who are giving them political advice and strategies to win over the hearts and minds of Quebecers. Is that a problem? Because, I mean, as far as I know, as uh, federal courts are not in the game of like boosting public their relations? public profile or trying to win the, the, the trust of the people. Like you have like handwritten notes from the meeting where they're saying like asserting that everyone will now know that the National Energy Board is top dog. Yeah. I mean, this is this is something that, that, that Mr. Charest, I think, in the meeting, I mean, from from based on the reading of the notes, he was suggesting to them, you have to let people know you're the top dog. You're going to be the, the one that makes the final call. Meetings, meetings with business leaders too, where business leaders are saying, "Here's what you have to do. Uh, here's the strategy." You know, to to to. Uh, I mean, I, I I wouldn't use the word fool Quebecers, but to, but to to try to persuade them that pipelines are, are a good idea. So what you're uncovering here is you're, you're talking about people like collaborating, if not colluding or conspiring, to a mutual purpose. And that mutual purpose in this case is the legitimacy, promoting the legitimacy of the National Energy Board. I have to assume because 
promoting the legitimacy of the energy board is somehow compatible with the interests of trans Canada. So that here, this seems to suggest that what the National Energy Board is trying to do is help them achieve their end of getting this pipeline in place. I, I think there were concerns, Jesse, that 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 people here were trying to game the system, and and that's that's I think the best way to to put it. This is like I mean, this is what prompted the legal challenges after our reporting came out. There was an appearance of bias. Yeah. You had not only these panel members, you had the top, uh, forgive me for using Mr. Chavez's words, but the top dog of the NEB, the chief executive who was in the room as well, participating in these meetings. So if he's there and the organization he represents puts out a statement saying we didn't discuss anything inappropriate, why didn't he step in and come and tell the truth? Why did it take a month and an access to information request for us to find out the truth about what was discussed in those meetings? Yeah. And so these are, you know, questions about, you know, it goes right to the top levels of the National Energy Board. And you're not really editorializing here and saying that there was a problem. They've since recused themselves, the National Energy Board, uh, the, the entire body or, or like everyone so on So the three members that were reviewing the Energy East panel stepped down from reviewing, recused themselves from the process. The chief executive executive himself has recused himself from any dealings with this pipeline. So can you imagine this is like the largest or the second largest pipeline company in Canada, the largest project ever proposed, and the chief executive of the National Energy Board has actually said, I cannot have anything to do with this because there's appearance I might be biased. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) And is the pipeline going to happen anyhow? Well, we'll we'll, we'll see on on, on this. I, I you know that's that's not for me not for me to say but uh, i mean we're we're, we're in the weeds here and it's, it actually yeah. really is the weeds are where it happens and the devil's in the details and seeing how these things get done how the sausage is made and we, we you know we i think that there's a kind of a macro level on top of this where where people might say like duh of course whatever bureaucratic system we put in place Whatever rhetoric about environmentalism we get from this new administration, Canada is still very much in the natural resources business. We ain't leaving the stuff in the ground. One of these pipelines is going to be approved. approved we just had LNG approved. Approved with a lot of conditions. And, and there's there's questions here about whether there's an economic case for this 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 project to actually go ahead. Uh-huh. So we'll, we'll see on this. But, you know, I, I guess the, the issue here, and especially for National Observer, what we see is that there is an industry that's used to doing business in a certain way in Canada and and not having any scrutiny. If, if you look at, at the journalism that, that that's there right now in the province of Alberta, there is very little scrutiny or investigative reporting that looks at how industry operates, how it interacts with government, and what it does to get projects approved or get policies in its favor, to get trade agreements that, that favor, uh, favor these companies. And, and they're so used to just having a, a clean path towards getting, getting to yes on everything they want because there aren't enough journalists out there that look at what happens behind the scenes. And that's one of the things that we do. Mike, that's something you've been doing for a long time. And when you were with Post Media, for how many years? Uh, f- for eight years in Ottawa, I was with the Montreal Gazette for a couple of years in Quebec City, uh, not doing, I was covering the National Assembly at that time. Okay, so yeah. you, you reported on these stories yeah. about the Harper government. I mean, this is like, 
it's not a shocker here. Like you, that is how energy does business in Canada. Is that you know the Harperism mm-hmm. in terms of energy was about we're going to build the Canadian economy on natural resources. We are going to be a, a partner to business, and we're going to pave the way, and we're going to work with them to make sure that they can bring their product to market and create this incredible bonanza for as long as as, as possible. And so you uncovered that there was actually government money going into the promotion of the petroleum industry, and that must have been really weird at Post Media because some of that government money was going to Post Media. Uh, government money? Uh, well, some we, of that, that, uh, that cap yeah. money, that Canadian Association of Petroleum Producer money, which... Uh, you I, know, I, <laughs> I don't know if you're able to actually put a yeah, put so, a GPS on every dollar, but yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I have to say about about Post Media, I was I was there for for eight years, and I had you know almost complete freedom to pursue the stories I wanted. I, I initiated a lot of coverage there until you were laid off. And, <laughs> until until I was laid off, uh, we know the state that that Post Media is in now, and it's it's not easy for them to make decisions about who stays and who goes. And 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 do you think it was related? Um, I don't have any any evidence to 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 comment on that. I I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. I I I just know. I mean, I was one of the people that was laid off, and 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 their environmental know, my position was eliminated. The guy, who, the guy, and, and was it? Yeah, not not. It wasn't about Mike. It was about like the position's gone. There, there, there's there nobody doing people. the work. There thing. there were other people, and and after I left, I mean, there's been more layoffs. We've seen, you know, the layoffs continue at Post Media. It's not it's not a company that's in in terrific shape like like other media companies. We're we're all we're all struggling, including yeah. including National. But we don't know. We don't know if they. I mean, they did also get rid of their science reporter, and I think that position's gone. And they got rid of the person who's doing investigative journalism into the energy <laughs> industry. But they also got rid of people who are not tied up in those interests so who's to say whether it was targeted that way but but I guess we can conclude they're not they're not really focused there's nobody there whose full-time well, job is well, to- well it's, it's very hard I mean there's there's I, I mean you need you need some good leadership Linda provides great leadership at, at National Observer and um, you know she has decided that she wants these issues covered and we have a growing audience that also wants to see these stories and and so we're filling that niche if post media wants to open it up to us if the Globe and Mail doesn't want to cover it if the CBC doesn't want to cover it with their vast resources well we will so Linda your job is not only to facilitate this kind of investigative work but to get the word out about who's doing it how is that going and, and with specific reference to this story it certainly sent ripples throughout the rest of the media did it boost the observer's profile it boosted our profile considerably other media like le devoir and la presse and a number of other newspapers mentioned the investigation mike did you know within like the first three paragraphs of, of starting their stories on it and in my experience over the last years that's pretty rare yeah so that was really cool and it meant a lot Who's on the shit list? Who did who who, who mentioned who who did that? Like according to recent news reports, failing to mention who those reports were by. I'm not sure that the Globe and Mail mentioned it the first time, and I think maybe the second time they talked about the investigation, they did. I think maybe the first time they said in news reports. In news reports, I you know am petty as all hell about this because it matters to like it's first of all it's just bad form, and I, and I like embarrassing people when they're being petty in that way. But but when you're trying to, I mean, like it really is the most small-minded thing. If you look at this holistically, the industry itself is struggling, and we need as many people because it is collaborative, whether you like it or not. We 
build on each other's stories. So it's probably like leaving aside the fact that Mike used to work at Post Media and has relationships with all these journalists, whatever benefit that could possibly do for you should probably be done. It doesn't hurt anyone to be generous in that way. It looks like people are starting to move more into that way of, of looking at us and at others. Um, we're going to be meeting with the Toronto Star today, their investigative unit, and we're talking to CBC, and um, we're going to be meeting with Le Devoir in uh, Montreal, and we are really looking you know, at how we can collaborate with other news media. How much does it matter beyond the ego boost when we talk about boosting the profile? Like, Can you draw a direct line between that and like money to keep you going? Mm-hmm. I think I can because... You know, anybody that puts money behind a news media company wants to see impact for their dollars. Yeah. You know, they want to know that even if they're just buying a subscription, and I shouldn't say just because it's a really big deal to us. We're really trying to build sustainability through reader subscriptions. But being able to show that that investigation was repeated by 30 other, you know, newspapers across Canada and other media organizations made a huge difference to our readers. And we raised a lot of money. You broke a big story, and your subscriptions went up and your revenue went up. Yes. Well, that's how it should be, right? That's what I think. You're in an interesting position as a paywalled news service, but unlike other paywall, like there are some hard wall paywall services out there where they say, we don't care about impact. Our subscribers don't care about impact. Often these are trade publications. Mm-hmm. And even, but even some stuff that are for, you know, local news audiences, uh, general news readers, where they are not active on social media, they're not trying to get uh, other media to pick up their stories. And they say, look, we are, it's proprietary, we're offering information nobody else has, and, and we don't want our stories to leak. Mm-hmm. You guys focus on environmental reporting. People who care about these issues are, like, primarily concerned with impact mm-hmm. and something actually changing. Mm-hmm. And yet your content is behind this paywall. Mm-hmm. So you, you, you both want the stories to be as widely read as impactful as possible, but you, you need to keep them somewhat proprietary in order to charge money for them. How do you kind of walk that tightrope? You know, it is a conundrum. It's, it's hard. Sometimes we go out and do crowdfunding and get reader support for, you know, a stream of reporting. Like we have reports from the uh, race against climate change, for instance. And that is not behind the paywall. Right. If you write us and say, I can't afford the subscription, we will give it to you for free. So we're really walking an edge where we're saying to our readership, look, this is expensive. You know, to do a big, long investigation costs a lot of money. And it's a lot of reporter time. And, you know, they need to eat. This isn't for free. And so we're really trying to educate readers about that. And it seems like you're leaving no stone unturned. I mean, when no, nobody really knows what the winning formula is. So you're doing, you're doing crowdfunding for specific projects, and it mm-hmm. seems like that's consistent with that value. If then that stuff is open to everybody, because like that's what people, that's what your funders bought yeah. by getting you to that point. Is they've bought that story for everybody else. Day to day, you've got the paywall yeah. with a certain amount of free stories. Yeah, you get three free a okay. month, which is really brutal. You know, and we know that. But it's just kind of like, come on, we don't have an enormous readership. Yeah, we're not the New York Times. And then you're doing private fundraising institutions, philanthropists, I'm thinking, like anybody who wants to see environmental reporting? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. We're, go- we're basically saying to people, look, the media environment in Canada right now is uh, grim, and there have been massive cutbacks, 
And if you want this kind of reporting that's really going to hold government and corporations to account, it has, somebody's got to pay for it. It yeah. has to be paid for. And it's a public service. It, it, it's a, you know, we're doing a service. But one with a point of view. And you're, you're not going to be hitting up people who have uh, an interest in, you know, the, the, I think that there are probably people who have, uh, whether because they work in the oil sands or because they are running an oil company, they may give Ezra Levant some money. Right? <laughs> like, well, like there are people who like, you know, you, you basically, yeah. you fund your, your yeah. attack dog. However, right? You want somebody in the national conversation who represents your point of view. He has his people. You have yours. However, we have have seen subscriptions coming from the oil and gas sector, you know, because I think they feel like they need to read the National Observer. And we've been surprised to see, you know, like a subscription from Enbridge and um, government reaching out to us and asking us how they subscribe. Because they just want the information. They need the information. And we more and more, honestly, we're really trying to speak to the center not the extremes. I think we talked about this uh, last time you and I spoke, but, mm-hmm. you know, Ezra Levant, of course, I mean, it's just out there that he has lobbied for the oil industry. He's written books about how this is the most eth- ethical oil out there. I think it's like, you know, you could use the word shill or representative or agent, but he has been a paid agent. So it complicates uh, and maybe negates whatever claim to uh, journalism he has. As I'm a guy who's just doing a certain kind of journalism about the oil industry. Well, yeah, but you're also, you've, you've got a very distinct point of view and one that you've been paid to have. Right. In your case, what similar analogies might enemies of the National Observer point out about you and your funding? Enemies are going to try to spin our funding into something that it's really not. First of all, we've never really had any major big funders behind us. The Vancouver Observer, which I started before the National Observer, was primarily, I mean, I bootstrapped it most of the way and had a couple of very small investors and did crowdfunding. And we just operated on, like, if people really knew the budget of the Vancouver Observer, they'd be pretty shocked Mm -hmm. how small it all was. And with the National Observer, it's pretty much the same model, but I have been able to bring in more. You know, it's more robust. So whatever they would say is probably not true. And back to Ezra and like us, not to compare, but the National Observer, our team is made up of journalists with extensive backgrounds in journalism. You know, we have Bruce Livesey, who's an investigative reporter with 30 years experience. Mike was at Post Media for eight years, then Reuters, and now he's managing our coverage. And so, and, you know, my background is as an investigative reporter. And, you know, really, our goal is to tell stories that aren't being told Mm -hmm. in this particular area, which is underserved by the mainstream, you know, by the bigger media. So if it is positional to actually cover stories, guilty as charged. Yeah, I mean, look, there there are similarities and then there are distinctions. Uh, whereas in the room, I'm sure he would point to, and some might get a chuckle, but he would point to Brian Lilly and, and, and Gavin McInnes as people who have long careers in media as well on his team. There is a distinction between the people that you're mentioning who I think are like a bit more of a uh, uh, traditional bent of doing investigative reporting in the public interest. Those are different things. It's sort of like I've been reading Dark Money by Jane Mayer. Have you read that book? I have not. Oh, my God. You've got to read it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's about – how the Koch brothers have just pumped in billions of dollars into shifting America through think tanks, through media, yeah, through universities. And um, not only they, but they've rallied a bunch of other, you know, really wealthy Americans to do the same. 
And, you know, it, what she talks about, she does at one point mention that tides in the U.S. Mm-hmm. would The environmental has group. Been, they're not an environmental group. They're like a group that funds um, a wide range of issues, including environmental stuff. Okay. But like social justice, um, peace, pretty much anything that would be in the sort of progressive. Left. Middle. Okay. <laughs> middle and left. Anyway, but what she says is, you know, she says that like Cato Institute would go, well, yeah, but there's tides. And – but the, the, the Libertarian Cato Institute would, would say, oh, it's an equivalence. There's yes, an equivalence yes. here. Koch brothers, Tide, same yes, thing. Yes, but the, but the scale of it is so, like, out of balance. Yeah. Like, it's like Tides is like this minuscule little thing compared to the amount of money that has been pumped in by the right wing. So I think it's, you know, it's hard to draw exact comparisons between these things. Anyway, our funding is mainly coming from readers. And anybody that has become an investor started out as a reader. What do you mean by investor? Um, we sell shares in the company. Uh-huh. So we have, uh, I think, five or six shareholders. Right. And they are Canadian. You know, they pretty much say this is like a philanthropic investment. I mean, they're not really planning on Making big bucks? <laughs> You've got angel investors. Yeah. But they ho- you know, they're thinking, well, maybe someday you will make something, and we want to be part of that if that happens. Yeah. But mainly we want to help you build some new media in Canada that can fill the gap that post-media is leaving right now you know, and cutting. Sure. It, there's like this big void right now that's begging to be filled, and we would like to fill it. And how's it going? Because you put out a bit of a, uh, a cry for survival recently. Yeah. Um, these are the best of times and the worst of times. There was a death in my family. And we're a very small organization. And so I really wanted to be present for my family during that time. And so I had to really pull away. And then, you know, I went through kind of like a grieving process afterwards. By the time I was really able to come back, I was like, oh, my God, like all the balls have dropped. You know, it's, it's, it really falls on me to bring the money in and to be sure everybody's paid. I was just like, well, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that this month. Yeah. So what happened really was that our amazing advisory board stepped in and said, well, we're going to keep the lights on because we had a ton of stuff that was about to happen. But, you know, like you got to have the runway to get to those things. Mm-hmm. You know, to close all these deals, like whether they're advertising deals, and we do a lot of advertising as well, mm-hmm. um, or whether it's somebody's thinking about investing, but you just haven't closed that yet, yeah. or whether, you know, you think you can bring in money through fundraising. I'd been doing it for 10 years, uh-huh. and I was kind of like, should I really? Can I keep this whole thing going? Can we really realize all this, this big dream? I was, had really been carrying it alone before that by getting that moment of saying, hey, you know, this is, this is, I need help. Lots of people stepped in, and now I really don't feel like I'm carrying it alone anymore. Like Mike has come forward in, in a really exciting way, and Mike is becoming a 10% owner of the company. And uh, Jenny Uechi, who's been in the company for years, is also a 10% owner. And... Now it's just there's been a, a really big turnaround 
we're in a smaller office. Right. And, you know, we cut costs by like 20%, 30%. We're just leaner and meaner and getting ready for an incredible 2017, I hope. You're like uh, <laughs> both uh, describing sort of my worst nightmare and also giving me a certain kind of hope because it's, you know, there is a vacuum in this country and it is it is possible and maybe even easier than people would think to hang your shingle that you're doing a certain kind of work in the media. And then, you know, very soon people can kind of just like, you know, accept that you're there in the mix. They see your content out there and you're sort of on a list of Canadian media companies in their brain. And the disparity between some of these organizations, which are massive corporations, even if they're failing, they're still massive corporations. And something like what you or I do, whereas I feel like if I had to disappear, like what will happen yeah. if I, if I, if something happened in my life where I, I, was, I couldn't be here for a month and uh, with lights go off. So that's like, keeps me up at night. But, but the, you know, you, but you, you build a team and, and there's a, a shared mission. Um, I wanted to just say that on that note, we were just nominated by the Canadian Online Publishers Award for Best Website in Canada. Mm-hmm. And in that group is like the Toronto Star and the Huffington Post, really large news organizations. Yeah. You know, and it, it's really surreal when you think about the difference in scale. And how amazing it is that we're there. Like, I can, you know, I'm so thrilled about it, and, and it's unreal. What does that mean that with such, you know, on such a small resource that we can go that far? Thank you. Thank you, Jesse. Thanks very much, Jesse. That is your Canada Land Show. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything you send me, and I respond when I can. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. Our website, where there is new news content all the time, is canadalandshow.com. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. All of our shows publishing this week, Commons on Tuesday, The Imposter on Wednesday, Canada Land Shortcuts on Thursday, our newsletter, Not Sorry, on Friday. I produce this show with Katie Jensen, and we make it available for free to community and campus radio across this country with the help of Russell Gregg. If you like what we do, please support us. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.